Welcome to High Performance Mindset with Dr. Sindra Kampoff. Do you want to reach your full potential, live a life of passion, go after your dreams? Each week, we bring you strategies and interviews to help you ignite your mindset. Let's bring on Sindra. Welcome to the High Performance Mindset Podcast. This is your host, Dr. Sindra Kampoff, certified mental performance coach and keynote speaker. Now, I'm excited today that you are here, ready to listen to episode 304 with Oscar Gutierrez, mental performance coach at the Cleveland Indians. Now, if you know that mindset is essential to your success, then you're in the right place because every week we explore topics related to mindset to help you be your best more consistently. In today's episode, I interview Oscar Gutierrez. So the Columbia native is a mental performance coach at the Cleveland Indians where he assists players, coaches, and other staff members. His focus is on the development integration of programs and services that enhance performance as well as mental and emotional growth. So Oscar's responsibilities, as you'll hear in this interview, include the design and implementation of programs that facilitate the acculturation process of Spanish-speaking players. So Gutierrez's practice in sport and performance psychology has included athletes in lots of different teams like soccer, swimming, diving, basketball, bowling, baseball. He's also a certified mental performance consultant with the Association for Applied Sports Psychology. And he got his bachelor's degree from Florida Atlantic University and his master's and doctoral degree from Florida State. Now in this interview, Oscar and I talk about various things um, related to mental performance. We talk about his experience coming to the US and moving to the United States. We talk about what athletes need as they transition from another country to the United States and then play here. Uh, What he does when someone doesn't buy into mindset training and how he handles that. I loved this part of the interview. We talk about three questions he used to guide his work or he uses to guide his work. And I think that you're gonna really love that part. And we talk about lessons that he has learned the hard way. So if you enjoyed this episode, we would encourage you to head over to social media. You can find Oscar and I over there. On Twitter, for example, Oscar is at SportsPsychOG for Oscar Gutierrez, and I am at Mentally underscore Strong. So my favorite part of this interview was about the three questions that they use to guide their work. What is it? Why is it important? And how do we do it? So keep listening to learn more about how they use those three questions. Have an outstanding week, my friends. Be mentally strong. And here is Oscar. Welcome, Oscar Gutierrez, to the podcast today. I am pumped to talk to you, Oscar, and it's going to be great just to chat with you about your work and to share with the audience a little bit more about what you do. So welcome to the High Performance Mindset Podcast. Sandra, I'm very happy to be here. Uh, Just full transparency, uh, as I was preparing to this interview, uh, that you started back in 2015 is amazing. So many years of quality work. Uh, I got to see great names that have been in this podcast, and I'm just humbled to be here. I think I was able to count 15 people that I have known directly or worked directly. So it's very exciting to be in the same venue with you. Yeah, isn't that awesome? I know, Oscar, I was just uh, recording the 300th episode and I had to look back my own self, like, when did we start this? <laughs> and I was like, <laughs> 
2015, you know, it's like we've just been grinding away and every single week. And, um, you know, it's an honor to talk with you and to talk with other people in the field and, and help people out there um, and spread the word about mental training. So to kind of start us off, I know you're a mental performance coach at the Cleveland Indians, but I'd love to learn more about how you got there. So take us back to how you got interested in performance psychology to begin with. Uh, I'm going to take you a little bit farther. So as you can tell by my accent, I'm from uh, Latin America. I'm originally from Colombia. So due to my dad's job, uh, when I was seven, we moved from Ecuador, uh, from Colombia to Ecuador. Okay. Then the same reason when we were, when I was 16, we moved from Ecuador to Florida. And this is very important now that I've been doing the job with the Cleveland Indians and something that I want to talk later on. It's just, if you look at the athletes that we work with in baseball, a lot of them transition to the United States around the same age. So I had a really cool personal experience, what it meant to move from one country, learn a language, learn a culture that I didn't know. So it was the it was based on my racing and what I went through as, as a young teenager. So long story short, I went to a school at Florida Atlantic University. I did neuroscience and psychology, and I wanted to do family counseling or family therapy uh, as I was doing my undergrad. Um, in 2008, if I believe uh, correctly, I went to an APA conference, and I heard a workshop on mental skills training, and I was fascinated. I was like, wow. at the time, you know, I used to play high school tennis, I played some club-level tennis, both at FAU and FSU, and I was like, wow, this makes a lot of sense why I'm not that good, and <laughs> among other things. <laughs> Do you remember who gave the workshop at the APA convention? Uh, I forgot her name, but I think she was in NFL, and she was working with the 49ers. Excellent. I, uh, yes, and, nice. and once I got back from that conference, uh, I was able back there we didn't have Twitter or Instagram so I went online and I started looking around people that did sports uh, psychology or performance psychology around this uh, South Florida area I think I sent around 20 emails to be honest with you yeah. and it, it was interesting only one person reached back well two people reached back to me one person wanted to charge me money and, <laughs> and the other person is David Da Silva, who's a dear friend of mine, and he works. Oh. He works in IMG, and he works right now with the cops. Yes, and he's an outstanding professional. I without him, I wouldn't be here talking to you. So he deserves all the credit. So I reached out to him, and he's he was at Chris Ever Academy, and I was in summer, and he's like, "Yeah, you should come and check it out." I went one day, at the end of the day, he's like, do you want to come tomorrow? And I'm like, yes. And we kept going that way for a couple of months. Uh, so in that stage, he was crucial for my development. You know, he, he's doing what I want to do. He's working with the best in the world and the youth as well. And he's giving me tips. He went to Barry University. He told me, apply to Barry, apply to FSU. And so I applied to Barry for the sports psych program and then FSU for sports psych and mental counseling rehab mental counseling and okay. um, I got accepted to the Barry University sports psych and then the rehab counseling at FSU and every decision every major decision that I have 
brought it into my life. I reach out to my family and people that are doing things that I want to do. And everybody agreed that the fastest way to get to do what David was doing was to go through Barry. But everybody also felt, and it felt like I would get a better experience and education if I went to Florida State. And I took that challenge and I was fortunate because my brother uh, at the time he was going to school there so my roommate was my brother and I moved to to Tallahassee I did my master's in rehab counseling and during my master's I was taking a lot of sports side class I was trying to get involved with everybody uh, students and professors alike Uh, Dr. Tenabon was amazing to me Mm -hmm. Uh, Dr. Eglon, Dr. Eccles and towards the end uh, Dr. Greg Chaw that you interview also was a key important mentor. So I did my master's in counseling and I got the amazing opportunity to work with students with disabilities at FSU. And we had group dynamics with uh, uh, students with autism, ADHD. Then I got to do an amazing uh, internship with Tallahassee Memorial Hospital. And there I got to work with substance abuse and I was introduced to motivational interviewing, which Mm. is something that I'm very passionate. And I think it applies a lot in the industry that I work. Long story short, I I applied to the doctorate program at FSU. I got accepted. And then, you know, I was in love of the classes. I was in love of everything that it was being done. And it was a lot of really good research and the challenge or the art was how I take that research and I apply it to the athletes. Yeah. I started with the youth. Uh, so we, we, we worked with a local swimming club. Then we went to Thomas University and worked with the soccer team with a couple of my peers. And I got the opportunity to work for two years with swimming and diving, Division One at FSU and also women tennis. And that, that was such an amazing experience because I got to see the importance of collaborating with coaches to understanding the sport, to getting out of your comfort zone. As you can tell, uh, you know, the sports that I have mentioned besides tennis, I had no experience. And it just allowed me to create uh, my philosophy as a practitioner. Uh, Yeah, there's so many ways, there's so many follow-up questions I could ask you from that. (laughs) (laughs) But, uh, whoa. Uh, So one question I have, though, first is, like, how does your experience just coming from Ecuador to the U.S., how does that shape your work now with the Indians and just, like, how you might help other people make that transition? So Dr. Richards, you interviewed her, Bernice, she did her dissertation on a culturization transition from international athletes to the United States. And I was, I remember vividly sitting in a computer lab when she was typing her dissertation. And we had that conversation. She's from the Caribbean, from Trinidad and Tobago, from Colombia originally. And we share a little bit of those experiences, but I was very naive and I never expected that I was going to be working with elite level uh, professional baseball players. Uh, And she talked a little bit about, and the findings that she got was like, they struggle, some of the most important struggles that they go through is uh, food, social support, and language was a little bit later. So you, like, when I came to the United States, because I was in South Florida, it was very Hispanic. So the biggest challenge for me was the language. And, the small different cultural difference, like personal space. And when I started working with baseball players, uh, I remember back in 2015, 
uh, they complain a lot about the food. They said that uh, the food in the United States, they don't put any seasoning and, okay. you know, they struggle. And we're talking about elite performance. They need to eat a lot and they need to eat well. Really? So culturally, that was a major challenge. And they talk about social support. And yeah. the organization has done an outstanding job. The Cleveland Indians and the leadership with the Indians have created environments, especially in Dominican Republic and here in Arizona, that foster that social support. So a lot of us that are here are bilingual. Mm-hmm. We keep hiring uh, bilingual and bicultural people. And uh, that's, I think, if you can, I feel like for me, when I came to the United States, my social support system was my family. So my dad, my mom, my brothers, our players come here yeah. and it's only by themselves. And they are 17, 18 year old teenagers who haven't developed a personality yet. And we, teach them basic skills on how to ask help. Uh, we started that since Dominican Republic. Uh, we, we do a great job with the support of Martin. He's there and he's helping us. And we've been working a lot for the last couple of years on how to foster that transition. Uh, last year, we hired a life skills coordinator and she's also helping us with that. So mm-hmm. once again, kudos to the organization because they are uh, really preaching what they want to do, but they are also applying it uh, to the lower levels. And do you see that now when the players, you know, transition and play baseball here and they grew up in a different country, is the social support more their team and their teammates and then the staff like you or the life skills coordinator? Yeah. So we have also an English and education coordinator. We have English teachers and it's very profound. And it's funny, like uh, we, we had a player last year, he's from Colombia as well, and he came here to the United States and he's a starting pitcher. So he pitches every five days and certain days he has to be the bad boy, certain days he has to watch. And it's just wonderful to see his interaction with the American players that came from the draft. So, and he's asking questions like, how do you say this? How do you say that? How do you say double play or whatever? And they're like teaching me them as you know, in practice, in games, and just that ability to be vulnerable, that ability to have a growth mindset, to ask questions. Uh, I think, you know, we as a department, try one of our pillars is growth mindset, but I think as an organization, all of the coaches talk a lot about growth mindset. And it's huge for us to provide those environments for the players just to be curious and learn and challenge themselves. Yeah, that's wonderful. So tell us a little about, like, in terms of your responsibilities with the Indians and just so people can understand, like, what you do day to day. And let's kind of then let's dive into your work. That (laughs) That sounds amazing. Uh, So I have in the five years, I have different roles. Uh, One of the departments that obviously I I support the most is player development. But I have been involved with international scouting. And... Uh, it, that, that's very exciting because we get to meet a lot of the players before we sign them. We get to meet their families and they build that connection and that trust. We we started interviewing players when they are 14, 15 years old and just having a, an understanding of their mindset. Uh, in player development, uh, last before last year, I was in charge of the mental skills training for Dominican Republic and Arizona, so the lower levels. And I also supported the uh, the rehab group. So players that have been injured, we have a lot of uh, injured players due to the demands of the sport. So we created a content and we developed content 
as a department to support them. And, and finally, I feel like a lot of what we do is also collaboration with coaches to support the goals of every player and also the front office. Yeah, excellent. So give us a little insight on what do you see the athletes that you work with struggle with? Oh, so many things. So yeah. <laughs> uh, I think one, one struggle that comes to my mind, uh, a lot of these players, let's say, are their best in their city or their state or even their country before we sign them. And they, they have a way of learning and then they come to us and we, we yeah, we, we love what they have, but we want to get them ready for the major leagues. Uh, so a lot of the challenges that they see is how, how do I learn the Indians way? Uh, how do we apply the concepts of growth mindset, routines, individual mechanics, and team teamwork? How do we, as a young player, learn under those pillars? And that's a challenge. That's a challenge because some of them, because they are so good, they, their ego, their ego gets in the way. And yeah. um, uh, some of them uh, is just a cultural transition. Like they struggle with the language. They struggle with the food. They struggle uh, with the heat of Arizona. And it's just beautiful because every obstacle that they face, the majority of them, uh, we try and we are very good at providing support systems. And because we believe that there is not like a big uh, way to do things or, or like there is a general way. We believe in, in individualized training. So we create these kinds of social support and techniques that allow them to, to succeed. So uh, th- that will be some of the most common ones. Obviously, adversity. Adversity. Uh, okay. Baseball is so long. It's a long season. So yeah. how do we continue pursuing and staying motivated, staying present in the present moment. Uh, so those are some of the uh, obstacles or challenges that I've seen so far. Um, give us a little insight on when you see athletes struggle with their ego, you know, how do you address that or do you? Mm-hmm. Because I kind of see the same way or the same thing generally in professional sport that people aren't necessarily mm-hmm. willing to learn because they don't necessarily like are open to new ideas. And that mm-hmm. gets in their way. They don't necessarily grow from a mental perspective and then they don't thrive because their ego is in the way. What, what's your thoughts on that? So going back to my practice uh, with substance abuse and substance use, that is a, a, a theory, the trans theoretical model of yes. stages of change. So there are five different stages and it's, it's been quite interesting to learn how this theory applies to practice. So you have pre-contemplation, contemplation, action, maintenance, and termination. And a lot of our younger players, they are between the pre-contemplation and contemplation stage. They know they want to get better. They know they need to get better routines. They need to have their discipline. But it's hard for them to get to the action stage. Yesterday, we were watching a picture from Venezuela. We saw him very young. And he had Tommy John surgery. And I was talking to the trainer about, you know, how much he has evolved. Okay. You know, in two years, he has grown so much. He was, he, was, he was never a bad kid, but, like, he was on his way. He wanted to do things his way. And in the last seven to ten months, he has been able to get to that action stage. He was able to say, you know what, you know, 
this is the way to do things, this is how we're going to do it. Started with the way he cut his hair, the way he dressed, everything. And it's just a lot of patience with them, especially the younger guys. They're trying to find who they are and a lot of that self-awareness and identity search is based how do I handle my ego? And, and you know, like obstacles, like injuries and failure are the, are the best uh, teaching moments for them where they become humble and they're like, oh, Oscar, what you got for me? Or they go to the trainers and it's like, I want to improve my routine. What can I do in the training room so I can get better, faster, and I can go and do what I love? So I feel like uh, that, those are some strategies that we have used. Yeah, that's good. And what do you think that athlete you were talking about, what, what was his transition from uh, pre-contemplation, contemplation to action? Like what happened for him? So I think we, we talk about motivation, right? We talk about passion and we talk about uh, pursuing and uh, their dreams and goals. So for them, it's just, I got signed. Wow, that's the big step. Mm-hmm. And he got very good money. And he's from Venezuela. Uh, I'm pretty sure like when he was, he was very famous where he's from because he got signed. And eventually when that fame and people stopped talking and build him up, uh, slowly, slowly he realized that, okay, this is one stage. Now what is the next? The next is to get better, move up levels and get to the major league, hopefully. And he realized that it wasn't easy. Like he had to train hard. He had to be more disciplined Mm -hmm. and I feel like a lot of the things that he did, he was very open and vulnerable with us. And we, we did a lot of collaboration with the front office, with the medical department, and we set the basis for his growth and then let him grow as he uh, as the time passed. And now he's just, the way he carries himself, the way he talks, the way he behaves, it, it seems like he finally found his purpose and knows how to access this support system to continue nice. getting better. Nice. So I'm, what I'm hearing is that you were patient with him <laughs> as yeah. he was growing and really moving to action. Um, so Oscar, one of the questions I usually ask everybody on the podcast is to tell us about a time that they failed and what they learned from it. <laughs> and I've been on this journey, Oscar, to like embrace failure even more in my own life. I just posted yesterday a video on Instagram, Twitter about like, what if your goal this year was to try to fail? And what if the more you failed, it got you closer to your goal? And so mm-hmm. that's what I'm trying to do is like embrace that in my own life. And when I say that out loud, it kind of even makes me a little, <laughs> I have a hard time breathing, right? The, the idea is, you know, just really embrace failure as a way to grow and learn and to get us closer to our dreams. And I'd love for you to tell us a story that didn't go so great for you and what you learned from it, just as a way mm-hmm. for us to grow and learn and uh, to learn more about you from a, a vulnerable side. <laughs> so, like, when you talk about this, uh, we have a presentation to our rehab group, and we talk about goal setting, and we, we see that success is just a straight line. We start yes. from point A, B, and we, we climb a mountain, and life is perfect. Reality, as you mentioned, is there is a lot of up and valleys, you go up and valleys and up and valleys. So as you were asking that question to me, I remember vividly when I was at FSU, I was working with the women tennis team. Okay. And here I was working with a couple of players. Uh, one of them was an Asian, uh, a student from Asia. And Asian culture is way different. And at the same time, I was working with another international student from another part of the world. 
So when I was with the Asian student athlete, uh, I will talk for the majority of the session and she will listen, she will take note and everything was perfect and things were okay. great. And I usually have those sessions because of my schedule at FSU. I had to get one after the other and I, have it, I was in that mode. And then I will go to the other international student and I will start talking, talking, talking. And like, I saw in her eyes that I kept losing her. And uh, I, I, I feel like uh, we had to go through many sessions until I realized and I started asking my peers and the supervision at FSU and the work that Greg Shaw had done over there allows to become more self-aware and have conversation in a group. And I was like, I feel like we're not going anywhere. I, I have this Asian student and she's doing amazing, but I have this other international student and she's not doing so great. She's barely making my sessions. And I started talking to a couple of ladies that were in my program and they they gave me a very open feedback where they're like, Oscar, that's not, you gotta be conscious that, you know, uh, the psyche of different countries is different. The way they interact with coaches is different. And you have to ask more open-ended questions and shut up. <laughs> uh, <laughs> that was, you should generally do, you know. <laughs> <I like> that. <laughs> and you know, like, we are so passionate about what we yeah. do. I think everybody that listens to the podcast, they want to create change. They want to yes. just go and they have this formula about confidence, about motivation, about mindfulness and we want to give this knowledge to the world right and there there is a beautiful thing about having open-ended questions yeah and just uh, just being able to shut up listen and work on that and it wasn't until I was you know I I had to leave my ego aside I had to let my peers give me feedback and then I was like ah this makes sense and the relationship improved slowly and slowly but it was a great learning moment in my life and I feel like all of us, all of us, we want to create change. And we got to go yeah. back and look at the stages of changes. And sometimes the athletes are not ready. doesn't matter how much knowledge and strategies and resources we have. We need to pay attention to the people we're working with. And we need mm-hmm. to understand their human experience. And we need to understand where they're coming from and their cultural biases so we can be able to get in the same page as they are. Yeah, that's that's a good story. I I remember Oscar and I first started doing this work and I was in graduate school and I was working with a golfer and uh, um, he was just kind of telling me about his thoughts on the course. And I think I said something like, well, you're just catastrophizing. It's okay. Or something like that. It was such a big word. When I said it, I I think it sounded judgmental to him. And now I'd never say that, you know, and uh, he didn't come back. (laughs) 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 So, So I learned pretty quickly, right? Like particularly like no judgment and, you know, just to normalize everything that we experience as humans. So thanks for sharing that. Do you feel like the big take-home point for you was that just the, the importance of opening, asking open-ended questions? Yeah, I think that that's huge. I think all of us are different formulas. Like, we are different human beings, uh, and every player, every coach, every parent, every medical staff, you know, they are their own experience. They have their own formulas. They have their own passions, their fears. Uh, yeah. So I think we, as professionals in the field, our job is just to understand what the formula is, empathize, being able to be vulnerable and work with them through that formula. 
And that's where the real work starts to me. Once you have that humanistic approach, you learn to be in the same page as the person that you are trying to create an impact because eventually I think all of us, our goal is just to learn the best techniques for mental skills training and just to work with the best and allow them to be a little bit better. But we cannot do that if we cannot empathize and be in the same page with them. Absolutely. So one other question I wanted to ask you, Oscar, is just give us a little insight in terms of like, what do you see yourself and hear yourself talking to your athletes about? Like, is there a concept or strategy or a tool that you find to be repeating over and over again? Yeah, so uh, with Dr. Mayor Charlie, Charlie, with Brian and Cece and Martin, uh, in the last couple of years, we recognized that when our Latin players were coming to uh, Dominican Republic, uh, we, we were kind of, they didn't know what we were doing. Okay. If they didn't know, like there is no mental skills training in Latin America. You know, when they're getting trained to be signed by, uh, by teams, they, they work in the techniques, they work in the physique, they try to get faster, they try to hit the ball harder, or try, try to command better their pitches, but there is no mental skills training whatsoever. And the medical department has the same issue. So it's like when the players get to our organization, they look at us and they're like, oh, yeah. who are they? Who, sure. I don't, I, yeah, I don't need a trainer to get better. You know, yeah. I will never get hurt. Or right. no, I'm, I'm, I'm super good. I don't need anything that has to do with the mental side. Yeah. So something that we have. Like I'm tried, already mentally tough. <laughs> exactly. I made it. I've been signed, so I don't yeah. need any help. It's so true. something something that we have done and we – in the last couple of years, we, we talk about those pillars like growth mindset, routines, and mindfulness. And it's been very exciting the last, uh, the last year because of the support of the coaches and the organization. We had uh, obviously workshops, psychoeducational workshops, where we talk to the players about what mindfulness is, the importance, the benefits, uh, situations where you can recognize yourself being mindful, situations when you cannot. And we started a mindfulness practice every time after we introduced this topic, every presentation that we ever had, and we only have presentations of 15 minutes because you can only get their attention for 15 minutes. <laughs> <laughs> the, first, the first three to five minutes is just mindful breathing. Uh. Just sitting with them, being quiet, mindful breathing in the classroom. And some of them at the beginning were joking around. Some of them were just falling asleep and as the sessions progressed they were taking it more seriously mm. they were taking it more seriously and the players were giving us feedback i want to do this what if we do that and okay. um, we had a program uh, in the off season last year where we transitioned that to the batting cages and we got all the pitchers and, and position players and we laid them because we have different groups working through their rotations and one of the rotations was mindful breathing and we were outside and there were more distractions different than in the classroom. You know, you hear a major league player training and hitting the balls. Then you hear merengue and salsa being played. And then you hear so many different distractions. And we did this and we thought, okay, that, that, that was a great experience. Martina and I, we felt very confident. We talked to Charlie, Brian, and Cece, and we were like, oh, this is awesome. I think we did something impressive. Uh, at the end of the year, we got to meet with the majority of our players, one-on-one. We want to evaluate what worked, what didn't work. It was unreal the amount of number of players that said that they were using mindfulness. 
And I think we could not find one that said that they didn't use it. All of them from different things, from different purposes. The majority, a lot of them use it to quiet their mind before going to sleep because they're thinking so much. They are teenagers. You know, they have so many thoughts and they were, they were telling Martina, myself, Oscar, Martin, you know what? Before going to bed, I lay down. I try to, I try to take three, four, be a very mindful, deliberate breaths, and that allows me to just to be able to go and sleep. And after every session, I would look at Martina. I'm like, "What have we done? This is exciting." Yeah. And, yeah. <laughs> and just to see the transition from five years ago, uh, sports psychology was a taboo to now it's a daily practice. It has been nothing but amazing and that has been the work of the coaches has been the work of Martin everybody in our department and I feel like just changing that culture that mindset the culture within the culture of accepting sports psychology as one of uh, the tools that they need to get better we're just a small puzzle but it's a very important puzzle for them to get to the next levels yeah so two questions I have about the asker first like how did you manage your own self in that situation? Because like I've been in situations where, man, it doesn't seem like the team was getting it, you know, mm-hmm. and it's, it's, it's easy to get frustrated and yes. uh, if guys are falling asleep, you know, it's easy to, in your brain to say, what's wrong with me? Like, how come I, mm-hmm. what am I doing wrong? But really it's like, they just didn't quite, they were in still in pre-contemplation or contemplation, yeah. right? So tell us a little bit about how you manage yourself in that situation before they finally got it. So a lot of the work that we do with the Indians, we, we meet all of us as staff, uh, Cece, Charlie, Brian, Martina, myself, and we talk about the different programs that we run. Something that I love that Charlie brings is we create programs. We don't create just one session. We want to create a program for the season or the off-season and that Charlie's great in that, and I think he has done so much for sports psychology in baseball because he thinks at the macro level. Awesome. And we get to execute at the micro level. And a lot of the challenges that we faced through the last years, we, we talk as a group, and Brian, Cece, Charlie, they all offer very blunt and straightforward advice. And we needed to learn. It's like right. one example. When I started going, I will have sessions for 30 minutes. And then I realized uh, when Martin got to work with us a couple of years ago, we don't need 30 minutes. We need very good quality over quantity, very good 10 to 15 minutes where we can teach these principles. So something that Charlie talks a lot about is, you know, educating the players before you introduce a technique. Why is important? What is it? How do I do it? Being able to answer those three questions. And when we had these psychoeducational workshops, uh, the players were like, eh. some of them were like, eh. but because we had the buy-in from other players, you know, we, we would rely on those players that really believe in what we did. And I'm not saying we have a hundred percent acceptance. It's a bell curve. Some of them really buy in, some of them don't, sure. but they're respectful. And slowly, slowly, the more we do it, the more it becomes, it becomes normalized. Right. So, yeah. What were the so, questions you just said? Like, why is it important? You said two more. They were really good. I missed it. So why is, let's say, why is breathing important? Uh, what is breathing and how do we do it in the daily basis? So all the presentations, whenever we, whenever we, talk, whenever we present to the players about confidence, self-talk, uh, routines, we try to answer those three questions. 
Those are um, important questions. I think sometimes we forget to ask, right? Like, yeah. what is it? How do we do it? Why is it important? Yeah. And that's drive the content of our presentations. And that, and you know, like the players, once they understand the why, uh, I think there is so many signs and there are so many books that talk about the why of something. Once you get the why, the right. other ones become very easy to adjust. And I feel like, you know, some of these players are the best of the best in the world, but they need to understand that mine is a tool. And sometimes this tool can help them or can just take them to a different direction that they don't want to get into it. Yeah. Do you feel like, Oscar, that started to click for the players because it was more tangible? It was more like mm -hmm. hands-on than talking, like they more doing than mm -hmm. describing? So I think that that was a great lesson. I, I did an internship at IMG and I was fortunate enough to have Dr. Vanessa Shannon, Justin Sua, Josh Livrak, Dr. Angus. Yeah. Okay. All, all these all-stars, all these legends in the field. Yeah. And I was just an, an intern there. And I remember like they made us read a book about make a stick. Yeah. And a lot of these concepts come to that. It's like, how do you present a... a an idea and IMG is, a, is very organized and they have a lot of these presentations so we had the chance to fail a lot and we have we will have these presentations and we had to create the content and I remember like my first week you know you have Justin Sua who has an approach of teaching and then you have Josh Livrak which is very energetic very passionate yeah. Yeah. and he he just has a way to uh, you know get everybody engaged and Vanessa told me, like, you, can, you cannot be either Justin or Josh. You have to find your own identity. And as you create content and you create these techniques, make sure that you are staying true to who you are. So I agree with you. And a lot of it has to be applied. So a lot of it has to be engaged because these were young kids. We're talking about 9, 10, 11-year-old campers who are in the summer there. And we had to learn to get them engaged give them content, give them ideas, but still make it fun for everybody. Yeah. Awesome. Awesome. So Oscar, another question I have for you is like, when you see the guys that move up, right? Like mm -hmm. the, um, the players right now that you, you do mental coaching with, what do you see that they do differently? Or maybe another way to ask that same question is what do you see the best of the best do differently from a mental perspective? So Dr. Erickson, uh, he, he wrote a book on deliberate practice. And a big, uh, I'm not because he, he's from FSU, but I'm a big believer <laughs> about it. Uh, <laughs> and I had the, the chance to see him live, and he's a great, great researcher and a great speaker. And when you talk about deliberate practice and you talk about, you know, having a specific goal, having intense focus, uh, getting feedback, uh, and getting out of your comfort zone. So uh, if at the younger levels, we call this mental discipline. We call this having a routine. So I, we have seen some of the most amazing, talented players, pitchers that can throw the ball 100 miles an hour, but they don't move up levels and we end up releasing them because they lack these routines, this mental discipline, this ability to keep doing the same every day for many years to practice deliberately so they get 1% better after a big chunk of time. So for me and what I have been able to see, and I think as an organization, uh, when the director of player development would call me and ask me, Oscar, we want to move 
this player from rocky level to low A? Uh, the first question he will ask me is how are how are his routines? Mm. And we gotta be very transparent and without really good routines, especially because in Arizona we have everything. They have everything here. And they come here, they have food, they have gym, they have everything. When you go on the road and you move up levels, you don't have the same food. You have access to McDonald's. You have access to Burger King. You don't have a gym. So it has to come from you. And if you don't have that discipline, if you don't believe in that deliberate practice, that idea of getting 1% better every day, yeah, that's where they fail. Because baseball is such a grind. It's 140 games and it's, now the new way of doing baseball is we used to have this the season and that would have been in. Look, it's January and we're working here and I, we are not the only organization that is working in the middle of January and we are making these periods of time longer. So for a 16-year kid to understand the importance of mental discipline and having routines, that's one of the biggest obstacles to come out of the lower levels. Yeah, excellent, excellent. Well, Oscar, as we wrap up today's um, interview, first of all, thank you so much for bringing it, <laughs> you know, just for uh, sharing a little insight in terms of what you do. And um, here are the things that I got from today's interview. I really liked this um, idea and our conversation about using the trans theoretical model to understand where athletes and people might be in terms of um, embracing mindset training or mental training. I loved the story about, when you actually taught more how to do the mindfulness that the athletes really liked that. I think that's really applicable for everybody who's listening who might not even work in sport, but just, you know, the importance of like doing instead of just telling. And uh, I also appreciate what you talked about, like when athletes move from different countries, the importance of social support. And at the end about these the three things to answer, you know, how do you do it? What is it? And why is it? So, Oscar, two questions as we wrap up. First, tell us a little bit how people can reach out to you if they are interested in learning more about you or if they'd like to connect with you in any way. So, my email, my work email is O, as Oscar, O Gutierrez, G U T I E R E Z at Indians.com. And also on Twitter, um, um, Sports Psych OG. Is not original gangster, it's Oscar Gutierrez. So where, uh, those are two very useful ways that people can reach out to me. I try and I make an effort to tweet to some frequency. I cannot keep up with you. You are a lead at this level, Sandra. <laughs> but uh, a, lot of my tweets are, a lot of my tweets are in Spanish because I feel like uh, I'm talking to a lot of the people who are in the industry and since 2015, to now we have explored it. There is a lot of bilingual, bicultural mental skills performance coaches. Uh, there is a major need for teaching the evidence-based uh, sports psychology in Spanish. There is a lack of content. There is a lack of information. I would love for somebody like you with your skill set to do this kind of uh, podcast and mm. provide such amazing content in Spanish. I think the whole yeah, industry needs awesome. it. Oh, that would be awesome. Be phenomenal. Phenomenal. Uh, so challenge for anybody who's listening who <laughs> could do that. Um, excellent. What final piece of advice or thoughts do you have for people who are listening? I, I think like we talk a lot about obstacles and challenges. I feel like we as mental performance coaches, we need to challenge ourselves. We need to read. We need to learn. We need to listen podcasts. We need to constantly grow. And whatever we preach to our athletes, we got to do it. Uh, I think when we talk about mindfulness and this is something that I learned the last year, 
Headspace has a mindfulness version in Spanish. So if, if you are trying to learn Spanish or you are trying to work, uh, what better option than use like a social proven and a very good app like Headspace? I'm not getting any money to advertise this, so do not right. worry about it. So yeah. use those resources to get better practice and challenge yourself. Like, you know, the, we demand the athletes to be mindful for one minute a day. Let's do it ourselves. We define, we ask the athletes to have uh, goal-setting skills, do it ourselves. Like, this is New Year's. My New Year resolution was to be in your podcast, and here I am. So I'm done for the year. <laughs> <laughs> here we go. <laughs> Boom. <laughs> well, that is pretty awesome. I'm glad that uh, you were on today. I'm grateful for your insight. And, you know, Oscar, I went and saw Tony Robbins last month speak in That's Florida, awesome. and I heard him say something, and he said, you're either growing or you're dying. <laughs> Mm-hmm. And I was like, ooh, that's harsh. And I was yeah. like, well, isn't that true? Because there are times in my life where I felt like I was just stagnant. I really wasn't growing because I wasn't, mm-hmm. I wasn't learning. I wasn't fueling myself with things like this. So, uh, yeah, good message at the end. So thank you, thank you so much for bringing it today, Oscar. Kendra, thank you for your passion and your commitment to our field. And I was, it has been an honor to be with you today. Thank you. I'm so grateful that you were here. Thank you for listening to High Performance Mindset. If you like today's podcast, make a comment, share it with a friend, and join the conversation on Twitter at mentally underscore strong. For more inspiration and to receive Syndra's free weekly videos, check out drsyndra.com.